Welcome back, Generation Zion. Today we had a really exciting interview with Dr. Bonnie Glasscoffin. Uh, she is a professor here at USU. She teaches a few classes on interfaith. Um, so we wanted to just kind of continue our discussion that we had with Madison. She wanted us to have the interview over Zoom, and so that's what we did. So if you hear the audio quality kind of go down a little bit, that's why. But we had a really great interview, and I hope you all enjoy. So I'm Bonnie Glasscoffin, and I'm a professor of anthropology, and I'm an affiliate professor of our interdisciplinary religious studies program. I'm also a board certified chaplain and interfaith interspiritual chaplain, and I'm also an ordained interfaith minister. And I've been at USU since 1993, but my primary appointment at USU is in anthropology. Very cool. That's really great. And what made you decide to kind of go into this field of anthropology and interfaith uh, relations and practices? Yeah, thanks. Um, well, I think as an anthropologist, I have always been really drawn to find ways to deeply understand people who are different than I am, who have different cultures, who have different, you know, um, backgrounds, whether they live down the street or whether they live across the world, right? Mm -hmm. And um, there is a real correlation between um, understanding people of cultural difference and understanding people of religious difference. Um, it ultimately is about making the other, you know, capital O other, feel less foreign and trying to find what our common humanity is when we're interacting with people who are sometimes presented to us as being weird, exotic, strange, you know, whatever, whatever the assumption or stereotype happens mm -hmm. to be. Um, besides that, I've always worked at the intersections of culture and religion and health, actually. Um, and I have always, I would call myself a religious or spiritual seeker from way before I was trained as an anthropologist. I've always been interested in really the biggest questions in life. You know, who am I? Why am I here? Where did I come from? What happens after I die? What does it all mean anyway? All those really big questions that you guys are really engaging your listeners with, with this podcast, which is really important. And so I already had that kind of predisposition, right? Before I ever had any academic training. Um, and in my academic training, I studied Peruvian shamanism. And Peruvian shamanism is a kind of approach to spirituality that um, really encourages deep exploration. It's like a personal engagement with um, the divine, with the world of spirit, right? Without priests, without discussion of doctrine or sacred texts. It's about the experience of being able to be in that space that is beyond what we might call ordinary consciousness. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that got me started in the interfaith movement on campus in, in creating space for that was that I had a chance to teach students a class in shamanism uh, several years ago. And I taught it in a way that would allow students 
space to engage in those kinds of experiences through meditation, through drumming, through free writing, through the use of sound, through meditate, you know, I said meditation, through um, conversing deeply with others about things that really matter. And it was kind of an unusual class, you know, most, most classes in religion anyway, kind of look at issues of spirituality and religion kind of from an outsider's perspective more than how does this affect you and students loved it i mean they were like they ate it up they were hungry to be able to talk about that part of themselves right and so it became kind of a springboard to want to know if students were interested in having more of those kinds of conversations so i did some campus research i found out that yes our religious and spiritual identities, our faith traditions, the, our worldviews are super important parts of identity construction and expression. And it was really important for the students that I was um, interviewing and doing research with to be able to talk about those things, but nobody felt like there was a safe place on campus to do it. Mm-hmm. So that was really what created the foundation of wanting to have an interfaith initiative that would create safe spaces for people to be able to engage appreciatively with others while learning how to share authentically about themselves. Wow, that was our next question is just kind of what interfaith was. I think you already addressed that. Um, But so what have you learned by from being a part of this interfaith program? Like, is there something that has grown in you from it, you know, just kind of building off of that. Yeah. Well, first of all, as I imagined when I was doing the research, students are hungry to be able to talk about these things. Mm-hmm. And since, especially since I started teaching the interfaith classes, um, you know, I, I hear from students, especially in the foundations class, where we really do some skills building, like how do I how do I take the risk to be vulnerable to share who I am, mm-hmm. right? So in a way that I won't feel shut down, I won't feel judged, I won't feel, um, you know, uh, otherwise um, kind of uh, constricted from doing that. And what I found is that students are just so hungry to be able to um, cultivate those spaces where they can share authentically and of course that requires learning how to listen deeply to others Mm -hmm. listen to learn not listen to convince right yeah um and so one of the things that i've learned since starting this program is that it's really filling a very important need on campus and that it's also creating opportunities for students to come out of their shells and to be able to let down the guard and to be able to understand how to create space where others can feel safe sharing with them too. Mm -hmm. So it just feels like it's been really rewarding. And every semester when I teach the intro class, I mean, I teach it every semester right now. It's an online class and I usually have between 50 and 60 students in the class. And just to watch the evolution through the term because a lot of students take it because it's a gen ed class. They're like, I don't know what this is. Sounds like it might be easy. And then by the end of the semester, they're all like, wow, I had no idea that this 
was a conversation that was going on on campus, it feels like this is a life skill to be able to learn how to listen to others and find common ground and and identify shared values, even if we don't have the same beliefs or subscribe to the same doctrines, we can learn how to listen to one another and to identify those shared values so that we can come together for a common good, mm -hmm. right? And I think there's just a lot of energy on campus with, with the students who take those classes to continue in this work. Yeah, I, I, um, I love what you said and how I, I agree. Like, I'm sure if I, I wish I had taken your class earlier. Um, I'll definitely look into it because it's yeah. not really interesting. Every semester, yep. But just what you were saying about how it's something that the students probably didn't know that they wanted until it was offered to them, just having right. this space and learning how to listen to other people. And then what you kept saying of, the students being hungry for mm -hmm. wanting to have the space, safe space and to learn how to talk about religion and just sharing their values and learning from other people. I think that's really interesting because when we come to college, it's this idea that we're coming here to learn, uh, to increase our knowledge and to become more of a well-rounded well person and expand our horizons. And part of that is the spirituality or the this, yeah, it is a spirituality of the person, whether they believe in a religion or just increasing that side of themselves. Absolutely. You know, one of the questions you guys gave me kind of as a prompt before we started talking today is what is interfaith, right? Mm -hmm. And that absolutely speaks to what interfaith is, right? Because interfaith really has two parts to it, inter and faith, right? Mm -hmm. And inter is about recognizing that this work is not about being able to stand shoulder to shoulder with somebody in the grocery store, right? It's about cultivating, and it's not about tolerating people who are of a different religious or spiritual orientation than mm -hmm. I am. It's not about, okay, well, we live in a, we live in a very diverse society. So I'm just going to have to like, you know, learn how to tolerate and get along. No, it's about cultivating interaction appreciative interaction it's about looking for spaces where we can step into the desire and the need to interact with people who have different orientations around religion who have different worldviews who have different faith traditions and so where those faith identities are on the table rather than hidden in a backpack somewhere and are found are forming sort of the um, context for our interactive dialogue. That's what interfaith is. So it's about really cultivating those um, interactions between persons across religious differences. It's not about learning. It is also about learning about religion and, you know, what are the major holidays in Judaism or, you know, what are the key tenets of being a Buddhist? But it's more about the people than the systems. How do people live their faith traditions, whatever they are? And faith is not just about being explicitly religious or even explicitly spiritual. Faith is about our worldview, right? It's about our values. Like this work and these conversations are just as important and just as meaningful for people who identify as atheist and agnostic 
-hmm. as for people who have a particular orientation to religion or spirituality that includes attending a church or um or our uh, assertion of having had a personal experience with the holy no i mean people who are atheist or who are agnostic they have they have um, values and worldviews and ways of thinking about who we are and how we ought to interact with one another and how we ought to take care of the planet and all of those other things too right mm -hmm. so so interfaith really is about cultivating those relationships those positive appreciative interactions with people who are different than we are where that issue of worldview or faith is what we're talking about right yeah i also think it's so important to like understand why diversity is just so essential for human connection like i just can't even imagine if we were all the same like that just would i don't think we'd have such a unique and beautiful world if we didn't have that diversity and we didn't embrace it and respect it. and and you know it's it's like historically even a hundred years ago, it was probably very unlikely that, especially if you grew up in a rural area, but even if you grew up in a city, you you know, there wasn't really any, any suggestion that you would often come into contact with people who didn't have the same religious background or spiritual orientation that you did. I mean, you know, if you grew up Methodist, the only people that you were probably gonna meet in your life were Methodists, right? Or LDS or whatever, you know, coming across the plains, it's like, We've got our communities. Well, that's not the way the world is now, right? We live in a very diverse world, mm -hmm. less so maybe in Utah. Well, not maybe, less so definitely in Utah than in places like New York or Chicago or LA, right? Yes. But still, we are going to be engaging with people who relate to those questions of what um, Paul Tillich called questions of ultimate concern right mm -hmm. those questions of meaning and purpose and how do i connect and you know what is my relationship and what are the values that drive that relationship and what's important and what's not right we live in places where people are going to have different orientations to those ultimate questions and mm -hmm. man how shallow would life be if we couldn't cultivate ways for engaging in the richness of that kind of dialogue with people who are different than we are and the other thing the other thing that's different now maybe that in the past and maybe why this work is so important now you know is that we live in a world where there's a tremendous amount of contention and factions and fra a sense of feeling fractured and not belonging and we also live in a world in which there's a lot of um, hate, hatred and there's a lot of terrorism and a lot of terrorism that gets um, uh, pointed out as having religious ties and origins. There's a lot of religious extremism. And if we don't learn how to build bridges with people across religious differences, if we don't learn how to cultivate appreciative dialogue, how to how to admire and yearn for some of the values that inform people who are religiously different than we are. If we don't do all of that, and if we just create a, if we just live in a vacuum where I'm not going to talk about that stuff because you know I'm I'm too afraid, right? Mm -hmm. That vacuum is going to be filled, 
by people with very poisonous religious language, because mm -hmm. the world is awash with religion, as the founder of Interfaith Youth Corps, um, uh, Dr. Ibu Patel talks about. The world is awash with religion. And if we don't cultivate spaces for appreciative dialogue, those empty spaces are gonna be filled by people who are gonna teach hate. Mm -hmm. So we gotta get ahead of it. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting as you were talking, I, I kind of just came to my mind of like, if everyone was the same, right? It would be trying to do a tapestry with a single color and how boring and how, like the color can be beautiful, but it's basically, a, you, it's, it's just so much more beautiful with, with yeah. so many, so many. Yeah. And um, as we were, you were talking, we, it was just very interesting to see how, what you mentioned of how throughout time the religion ha conversation has changed. And I, so Robbie and I, we both grew up outside of Utah. I grew up okay. in California and Robbie's from, ten from Texas. <laughs> I almost yeah. said Tennessee, wrong, wrong state. But um, I think, I can't speak for Robbie, but I'm pretty sure from my experiences that I can guess Robbie's, there is that um, kind of sense of fear almost of talking about different religions. And I think this stigma against certain religions, right? Like the extremists that we, that's so connected to the fear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess with that, just with being sensitive and a kind of difficult topic, why? Uh, yeah, why is it such a hard topic yeah. to talk about? Yeah, well, it's probably a hard topic to talk about in different places. I mean, I'm much more familiar with the culture in Utah than certainly in Texas, but my guess is it's probably the same reasons that it's difficult to build bridges across difference when you're talking about anthropology, right? It's like we tend, first of all, as human beings, we have, we have limited, limited ways of processing information, right? We have built-in filters biologically in our body. We can't process it all. And so we process information based on what has made sense in the past, right? Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes we have a, a sort of shortcut for thinking about how to understand something that we don't know very well. Those shortcuts are, you know, assumptions and stereotypes and things we learned from our parents or things we learned in the church house about, uh, about, you know, how we ought to maybe be afraid of others because again, going back to a biological imperative, right? Humans are kind of hardwired to be afraid of the danger that lurks outside that which we know, right? Mm -hmm. And so there might be this sense, I mean, we don't obviously need to worry most of us about being chased by a tiger, right? At this moment in time, but uh, we band together in groups, we still band together in groups in order to create this sense of safety and boundary against the unknown, mm -hmm. right? And religion can be one of those great unknowns. And historically, one of the things that religions do is they tend to build pretty strong boundaries between insiders and outsiders, right? And whether it's through shared doctrine or whether it's through um, 
a community that meets together frequently, whether it's through shared language, you know, we have a sense of safety and that we can count on the people who are like us. Mm -hmm. Religion, historically, has been one of those topics that really create a sense of us versus them, mm -hmm. right? And I don't think that's changed too much over history. I think that that is kind of built in like, ooh, you know, don't go too far outside. Don't go too far outside the village walls, honey, because, you know, there's bad things out there, right? Mm -hmm. And um, part of what we do with, the, with interfaith dialogue is we, we, learn, we learn, first of all, to recognize those boundaries, why they're there. And I, and I love what you said, Rachel, a few minutes ago about, you know, hey, it's like so beautiful to think about religious diversity. It turns out that in most religious traditions, there are built in pieces of doctrine in scripture that lift up and celebrate diversity, right? Mm -hmm. I know that's true um, for, for, I know that's true in the Book of Mormon, you know, I know that there are passages that talk about um, the deep respect for allowing people to um, to, to worship in their own ways. And, and I know that some of the founders of the church have, have said things like, you know, I, I would give my life to protect the, the, the right of a Presbyterian, right, to worship in their own way. Mm -hmm. Well, it turns out that's true in Islam, where, you know, uh, there's, there's, um, there's verses in the, in the, um, in the Holy Quran that, that talk about, you know, Allah, God could have created everybody the same, right? But instead he chose to create everybody different so that we might come to know one another. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the whole idea of the golden rule, you know, and I'm telling you to love your neighbor, but not just your neighbor, but also your enemies, you know, I, there's this sense in which if we look for it, we can find these these scriptural references and verses and doctrines in almost every religious tradition that encourage us to get outside of our own boxes. Mm. But um, oftentimes, um, what I wanna say is, that's what we try and cultivate in interfaith dialogue is an awareness that there is a mandate to go beyond what's safe, what's well-known mm -hmm. to engage the other. Um, but oftentimes I think that our sense of fear is about a fear of the unknown. And then, you know, we create assumptions and stereotypes because it's a shorthand way of making sense of that which we don't know. Mm -hmm. And we have to learn how to challenge those stereotypes. And we only do that by getting to know people who are different than we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing that I've been taught for most of my life is that chances are we are more alike than we're different. Mm. And so that's just kind of how I've approached things. And growing up outside of Utah, you don't just assume everybody is the same religion mm -hmm. as you right. are. Like, I feel like that is here a lot more. Like people just assume unless you specifically tell them. Right. You are a yeah. the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so or you're not, and then there's like that divide. That doesn't really happen in Texas and um, in Virginia. Yeah, so I just, I guess, how do you think we can better cultivate that um, kind of respect? Yeah, unity, there's not such a divide because there is in Utah, based on my experience, there is yeah. that it's just not in Texas. Like in Texas, I feel connected to everybody and I feel 
like we are human beings. So just your take on that. Well, I think you're absolutely right. And one of the things I think we have to be aware of is there's a tremendous amount of, um, you guys have probably heard the term privilege, right? Mm -hmm. When you think about white privilege or male privilege or, you know, uh, other kinds of privilege, there's religious privilege in Utah, right? And that's not, um, it's not to say it's, it's good, bad or otherwise, it's just to say it's there, right? And what is religious privilege? Religious privilege is not even having to think that there might be somebody different who orients differently than I do. Because, because again, the assumption, especially if you've grown up in an area that is, I mean, there's some areas of Utah that are 85, 90, 95%, you know, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So people really haven't come into contact with people who are other than they are. So again, as, you're, as your brain is learning how to filter things and you're a little kid and you're learning how to filter things, it just doesn't even enter your mind. That there are people who are different and that sets a template that really um that that really contributes to this notion of privilege so what do we have to do we have to first of all be aware right that as i walk in the world my walk is not like you know the person who doesn't orient as i do and that you know gosh how do i put myself in their shoes right i mean if I, if I want to get some religious counsel and advice, I, I walk five steps across, you know, from the TSC and there's the Institute and I can take Institute classes and I can connect with a Bishop. And even if I'm living in a residence hall, you know, I can easily find a Bishop. Wow. Not everybody has that. What? <laughs> you know, so part of it is just learning how to become aware Mm-hmm. of religious privilege and and in the interfaith initiative we do a lot of trainings you know first of all we do we do a lot of classwork right and in classwork it's about cultivating that understanding cultivating that awareness mm-hmm. um providing space for students to engage in discussion with to uh, to out themselves hey this is how i identify and then to engage in discussion with people who are different and all of a sudden it's like wow I didn't know that about you because once you start doing that, then the other piece is, first of all, learning how to listen, right? Now, first of all, being willing to be the one that's uncomfortable and step outside the door, cultivate relationships with people you don't know, go to the local Islamic center and attend a worship service, go down to the Presbyterian church, go to the Buddhist Sangha especially in the month of November, which is kind of the hospitality month for all of the churches in town. Make a point of of saying, you know, hey, I don't really know too many people who aren't members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I wonder, you know, I'm guessing that you don't identify as LDS because I see you sitting here in this Buddhist Sangha. Could we like grab some tea or some some hot chocolate and just tell me a little bit about you. I'd love to get to know you, right? So first of all, being willing to do that. Mm -hmm. Second of all, being willing to listen, right? To listen in order to learn rather than listening in order to convince. Um, So taking classes is a big way to start. My interfaith leadership class is a really good place to start. Mm -hmm. Anthropology or religious studies 1090 offered every semester online, easy to get into. Um, 
attend one of the trainings where we talk about things like religious privilege or we talk about how to create safe spaces or we do activities, fun icebreaker activities like speed faithing where people get to stand in lines and or in circles and you know have conversation partners and respond to questions that gets them to talk about their religious orientation. Mm -hmm. um, join the Interfaith Student Association on campus. Um, you know, take a religious studies class and learn a little bit more about other religious traditions. Um, any of those are sort of points of entry that we can use in Cache Valley, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the first and foremost is, let's not just assume that every person who's walking across the quad is a member of the church. Let's not make that assumption that just because I grew up in a place that was 95%, you know, members of the church, that that's the case here, because it's not. And there's a whole lot of people out there who feel disconnected and marginalized and not understood. And like, it's, they have a hard time finding places of worship and they really want to go to social activities, but they don't want those social activities to include an invitation to come to a church meeting you know, things like that. Can we put, can we make safe spaces for people to feel like it's okay to show up and socialize? That's a big, that's a big part of what those who are part of the religious majority can do. Mm -hmm. I love what, um, what you've been saying, because I, I think that is true of just kind of going out after that love one another, not um, love those to make them like you, you have to love them as they are and exactly. accept that and I love the word that you've been using cultivating because it is that action verb of going out and cultivating a lot of times right is used in gardening and farming and being outside and collecting and right. putting in the labor and the hard work and the sweat blood and tears exactly and exactly. I amazing too. I love that. I love that 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 use of that metaphor. I hadn't thought about it in terms of gardening or, or farming, but that's exactly what it is. It's about putting in the effort, doing the labor, mm -hmm. right? Doing the work, not assuming that it needs to be somebody else. You know, hey, I'm a safe person. I'm 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 not, you know, uh, I don't have religious privilege. I'm a safe person. You can come talk to me. That's different than saying and going out and saying, hey, you know what? I, I just, I'm aware that not everybody, um, not everybody might orient the around religion the same way that I do. And I really want to get out of my bubble. And, you know, can we talk? Will I have? And I think the thing, you know, what I said at the beginning about this research that I did initially, what I found is that everybody wanted to talk about this stuff. Nobody felt safe doing it. And what was interesting is the people who identified differently had different reasons for not feeling safe. Mm -hmm. But one thing you guys should know, and hopefully your, your listeners should know, is that um, there, is, there, is, there is a real concern, a perception, whether or not it's assumption or whether or not it's true, but there is an assumption that often when someone who's a member of the church invites you as a student 
to go to a fireside chat or, well, that's probably too much, but to go play volleyball on the quad or to go out and get something to eat or to whatever, that there's an ulterior motive. Right. Yeah. I, you know, because I really want you to be part of my church. And I get that, you know, um, evangelizing is a really important part of many religious traditions. But in order for real interfaith dialogue to be able to occur, mm -hmm. there has to be some explicit um, sharing of ground rules. Like, you know, hey, this is a time when I am going to refrain from, um, you know, wanting to talk to you about my church, right? Because all it takes is one or two invitations to social events where the odd, you know, the, the, the let's eat pizza together turns into, so have you thought about coming to church? Mm -hmm. And then it's never going to happen again, right? right? Mm -hmm. So, so for members of the religious majority, it's really important to know that you've got to set the groundwork and be explicit that, Hey, this is a safe space. I want to get to know you. Yes, sharing my faith is important to me, but in this moment, this is about getting to know you. And can, and, you know, can we just have pizza together? Promise not to try and promise not to ask you if you want to come to my church. Just going to say that up front. <laughs> Maybe we'll do that another time. But for right now, I just want to get to know who you are. Right. Yeah. And that happens right with roommates all the time too. Yeah. So being aware of that privilege is a really important piece. And I've taught a lot of students who are members of the church who say, well, that wasn't my intention. I didn't mean that. You know, I just, I just wanted to get to know this person. But you got to know that that's a perception that's out there. Right. By that's people true. who are not members. Yeah, that's definitely a fear of mine is yeah. when I approach people, I feel like, I have to be very careful about how I approach them because I don't want them thinking that it's because I want them to come to church. I want them thinking yeah. it's because I want to know them as a person. So right. maybe just expand on that a little bit. That'll be like our last thing that we talk about, sure. but kind of how do we approach it? Like you already were talking about that, but um, how do we approach it as members, as the religious majority, um, talking to people without them, like making it known? that we aren't trying to just yeah. get them to come to church with us. Yeah, I would name it. I would name it. Like um, when you guys, for instance, I know that at the Institute, they have interfaith dinners, you know, every year. And um, I've participated, members of the Interfaith Student Association have participated. I've got, you know, students from other religious clubs who have participated. But, you know, I think just, it can go a long way to just name something, right? Hey, you know, I'm I'm aware I'm aware that sometimes I'm not saying this happens to you, but I'm aware that sometimes um, sometimes people on campus who are not members of my church have the perception that the only reason that you know we want to socialize is to have that ultimate conversation, and and that might be important to me, but but I, I'd like I'd like us to set a set a space where we can both know that that's not what this is about mm -hmm. because I just really value you as a human being or as a roommate or as a classmate and I just want to know more I just want to know more about who you are so can we set that ground rule you okay with that okay I'm okay with that 
All right, so for the next 30 minutes, we're gonna have a conversation and I'm gonna just pick your brain about who you are. And, and you know, we set some safe space guidelines. Like, first mm -hmm. of all, we don't evangelize during you know, those kinds of conversations. We agree to speak from our own experience. We agree, you know, use I statements, right? We agree to give other people the benefit of the doubt when they make mistakes, you know, like you're working with, you're, you're, you're talking to somebody and they keep referring to you as Mormon and you find that offensive or whatever, right? So we agree at the outset, hey, um, is it okay if I gently speak up when something you say kind of hits me the wrong way? And I, and I want you to do that for me too. You know, we, we set some ground rules mm -hmm. and we set some safe space guidelines and we create opportunities. The other really good thing to do is create opportunities where we're not even talking about religion. We're coming together to do a service project. We're coming together to, you know, put um, goodie bags together for the homeless or whatever it is, right? Um, and you know, sometimes you've had, you've got to have that trust built at the beginning before you can even begin broaching religion. But when you do broach religion, I think you have to have the ground rules in place if you're really going to have dialogue that, yeah, um, bringing people into my faith is important to me, but I'm going to set that aside right now because I don't want you to feel like you have to have your card up. Yeah, I, I really love that. It, just it reminds me so my dad's family are all Jewish mm -hmm. and I grew up with that dialogue of just both sides we always end up talking about religion even though you know that's one of the not dinner conversation one of the dinner conversation rules is you can't talk about politics or religion but it always comes up and just it's interesting knowing the times when I felt someone have their guard up and when they someone's guard hasn't been up. My English is a little bit off, but um, <laughs> mm -hmm. it's amazing the uh, conversations and the dialogue you can have and the amount that you can learn mm -hmm. when there is that understanding yep. and that openness. And I think friendship, mm -hmm. like as you're saying, the trust. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you guys want resources, I've got a bunch of resources that I can send your way on you know, guidelines for setting safe space. There's a lot of cool things you can do. There's things called brave space dinners where you agree to come together and talk about like a, a problem that is really big on everybody's mind. Often it's not about religion, but you sort of come to the table and you agree to have conversation. In general, in my experience, if, if, if you just ask somebody authentically, I really wanna know something about you and I, I promise that I'm here to listen, not to, not to judge, not to convince, not to do anything but listen. And that, that really can really create a space where people feel at ease, like those walls aren't there. And I would say that religion should be a topic that we can talk about at the dinner table, but we need to set some safe space guidelines first. Exactly, right. Well, it's been great talking to you. Um, do you want to just sum up? Kind yeah, of, um, I think it's been a really amazing and insightful conversation just about what interfaith is and religious differences and how we can make religion more unifying instead of divisive. And I think 
with that, there are so many blessings that can come into our lives. And we can really make that tapestry, you know, as we said earlier, this beautiful masterpiece instead of just a single color. Absolutely. I am so the good work you guys are doing. I, I'm just so happy that you're doing this podcast. Yes. And thank you so much for coming in and letting us interview you and just talk to you and talk with you about all these things. You betcha. Absolutely. It's been an honor. Thanks guys. Well, thank you so much, Bonnie. It's been great. So that was our interview with Bonnie. We hope you enjoyed and got a lot of insights um, like me and Rachel did, or Rachel and I, got to be proper with the grammar. Or, yeah, it's I. Yeah, Rachel and I. Yeah. That's correct grammar. Yeah, Josh is here with me to outro this time, so. I'm here, and I'm here to remind you all to have a great Christmas season as well. Yeah, because this is, this is the end for a while. We're taking a little break for the holidays, and... We're going to come back for season three in season January. Season two is done. Season two is done. So sad, but don't fret. Season three is coming. Yeah, with all the same hosts. It'll be great, and we will see you in January. you have anything else to add, Josh? I would just like to remem- remind everyone to keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times and enjoy your Christmas season. We'll see you next year. All right, bye.